0: As one small
1: step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country.
0: And to the republic for which it stands.
2: The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency, effective at noon tomorrow. One nation, under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. and You can see the two towers, a huge explosion now, raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way.
0: Good Lord, there are no words.
2: Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Title
0: IX. The landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU Green to Go, propellants pressurized. Um, hey. T-15, legal anatomy of current events, SC ready and green to go. T minus 14, FOS ready, green to go. T minus 12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T-11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events, green to go. T minus 10. Internal power green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9. 8. 7. We have ignition. Five, four, commit for launch, green, three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, all for you. Now on the air, target locked.
1: Good morning, America. Here we go. Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollack. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado, and we have offices in Denver and Steamboat Springs, Colorado. We want to give you the breakdown, the legal breakdown of current events, so we pick a different current event each week. We call it anatomizing your mind. We give you the legal anatomy. We break it down to its anatomical parts so that you can understand it. We try to make it interesting so that you can get the information you need to make up your own mind. We, we don't take sides here, although we may cover very hot political topics, and we do, and we have. Today we're talking about the Ohio train derailment. What about it? What about that? What about the air they breathe? What about the land? What about the property? What about the rivers, the streams? What about percolation into the ground? What about damages? Who's responsible? What's this all about anyway? What is this all about? And remember... We previously did a show on how administrative agencies control your life. How do administrative agencies in this country, our country, America, control your life? Or do they control your life? And what basis is there? So we've done that show. We gave you the legal foundation and the basis for you to understand how administrative agencies, excuse me, get involved into this situation. And they're now involved in this Ohio train derailment. Okay, so we're going to give you the legal breakdown of it. What are its anatomical parts? Here's how think. Here's how attorneys analyze cases. First of all, first of all, you got to figure out the facts. What happened? And sometimes that seems easy, and sometimes it's not so easy. Brad, let's explain to everybody how we deal with facts.
2: Uh, it, 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 the facts. The. F- The interesting part, and I kind of stumble on it, is when you start trying to get the facts of a situation uh, and you analyze it and break it down, probably 90% of the time, the facts become very difficult to decipher because uh, it's, you know, I, I was sitting with a police officer one time at a bingo place, believe it or not. And we were, and while we were sitting at the bingo parlor, um, he looked at about four of us, and he was talking about how hard it is for facts. And he said, for instance, look outside, and it was nighttime. He said, what color is that car over there? And believe it or not, all four of us had a different color. And he said, well, it can't be four different colors. It's one color. And he was right. And it took going outside and walking up to the car close to see it because the different lighting, the different slant that you're at the window, the different way somebody sees the color uh, can affect what color that car is. Well, when you start getting to facts, a lot of the question of what happens and what are the facts of what happened are, are changed around or are seen perceived through another person's eyes. And that person may see it different, and each person may see it different, and then it gets left up to the finder of fact to figure out what really happened and what applies and what doesn't apply. So when we talk about a derailment, uh, we talk about what are the facts that cause this derailment. Um, I think we're going to find out that what, what caused a derailment, at least what people are saying caused a derailment, Gary, is actually something that most people would say, Well, it can happen on a train. Um, You know, you you get uh, a part of the train that goes out, you have a faulty wheel bearing, and uh, the faulty wheel bearing goes out. Um, It's what the problem is. But that's only from one aspect on one video camera or one surveillance camera.
1: Right, and there were a couple of videos of what was happening here, and so you talk about ball bearings, and so you have to dig down into the facts. That's how lawyers think. So let's think like a lawyer today. Let's legally analyze this Ohio trail Ray, uh, rail derailment, excuse me. Let's give it to the anatomical parts. First part is what are the facts? First part is were there videos? Are there witnesses, right? <clears throat> and there was a video here about a ball bearing that ap- apparently failed. Brad, let's talk about defects and how they affect analysis in cases. And let's use a, a car example to begin with, and then we'll come back to the um, the uh, train derailment.
2: Well, you know, it, 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 There's a duty, if we use the car as an example, there's a duty for people to have safe cars on the road. If the car isn't safe and the person knows there's a problem with the the car, it's got a defect. It's the duty for the person to uh, alter the operation of the vehicle when they know it's got a problem. If they don't know it's got a problem, if it's a sudden problem that occurs, a sudden defect, then maybe they do or don't know. Um, maybe they, they don't have a reason they should have known. Uh, you start getting into, well, did you take your car into a mechanic? And did the mechanic tell you your car is about to have a problem? Uh, it's the same thing with the defect to a tire, uh, in, in whether or not you should or shouldn't know about the defect to the tire, you should know it's coming up.
1: Yeah. But, you know, usually in our, in our field of practice, we talk about brake failure. Uh, we do some, uh, we do car accident cases and do, uh, crash cases, uh, along with other areas of our practice. And so you talk about a brake failure. And if, if the people can anticipate they're going to have a brake failure, probably, what if you were having a problem with your brakes on your car for months, weeks? Well, then you knew about it. So then liabilities can still attach. But if it's a sudden defect, a sudden occurrence, then defect, if it's defective, it can be a defense. And so this railroad and this uh, tra- train derailment, right, they were talking about ball bearings failing, but they were also talking about being put on notice. But let's talk about the videos. We're still talking about the facts. Let's talk about the videos. I mean, I think there was somebody doing a private video. I think there was a security camera. They got a video and there were sparks flying under the train. And then there was some kind of a warning uh, sent off on the, on the uh, ball bearing. And that's going to be a warning that there's going to be a big problem with the train.
2: Well, yeah, there, there was warnings that there was a problem with the train. If somebody was listening and paying attention to the warnings, but the problem is, is in this kind of situation, it looks like any warnings uh, were being ignored. And, and once again, I could be speaking out of turn here. It might not be they were being ignored. It's just that they weren't noticed or they didn't know about them. And the warnings were such that uh, nothing was being done to address the potential problems that could have occurred from the, the uh, or could occur and, and result in a trained derailment. Uh, once again, that's going to take a lot of piecing together all sorts of different aspects of the case. It's almost like you're watching a a mystery show on TV, and you're trying to figure out how it all comes together. Only in this situation, you may not get uh, a a nice little wrapped-up explanation of what the the mystery is by the time the, the whole investigation is over.
1: You know, another thing, everybody's talking about ball bearings and the sparks that were under the train prior to the derailment. Uh, but you've got to be able to prove that. Those might not be the facts at all. I mean, the, the, the North Fork Southern Railroad might have different facts. They might come into the court and prove different facts. They might prove a sudden defect that nobody had knowledge about. And so that's that's the fight. That's how lawyers think. So you think, well, maybe the ball bearings are the problem. You're talking about the facts. You're investigating liability. What does that mean? How do lawyers think about that? Who's liable? Who's responsible? When we say, you know, liability, let's talk about liability. We're talking about who's responsible, who's at fault. So then you home in on the the, the first relevant facts. It might not be turn, turn out to be the absolute ultimate facts, but you home in on it. And right now we're home in on the ball bearings. There were videos. There's some kind of proof. So then they caused a, a problem. But, you know, think about another thing. Who owns the track? Was the track responsible in some way? Who owns the trains? Was it an engineer error? Was it an operator error? Was it a computer error? Was the train going too fast, or was it, the, was it the ball bearings? So you start to look at these facts. This is how attorneys think about cases. We're going to break this one down for you. The facts. What are the facts? What can prove them? What can disprove them? How do you do that? So you don't just automatically assume. Well, ball bearings. Well, um, Norfolk Southern Railroad. They're responsible. That's where everybody's headed, and soon we're going to tell you in this show, in this podcast, how you get down to causation. You're going to find that very fascinating, right? Uh, because causation doesn't always mean causation. And we'll get to that in a minute. But, Brad, we're still talking about the facts. We're talking about liability. Let's tell everybody how we do this.
2: Well, and there is also a report that um, the derailment was caused by a mechanical problem in one of the rail cars' trucks. Uh, the reports that an axle was observed throwing sparks about an hour before the, uh, the, 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 occurred. Well, you know, is this the same one that the people saw where they thought the ball bearing was going out or where the video actually, it was a surveillance video that they were able to capture the uh, ball bearings going out. Is that the same sparks that we're talking about? Uh, it says the, the crew um, would have received an alarm from a wayside defect detector. Uh, shortly before the derailment, indicating a mechanical problem. Uh, so, you know, if that's true, did they act promptly? Uh, it, it would have told them there's an emergency brake application that uh, had to be initiated. Did they do the emergency brake application? And did this train have the EPA that, um, or EBA emergency brake applications system? Um, was it working correctly? These are all facts you want to know. Because you're saying, what what's the fact that caused the derailment? You you can have a lot of things happening to that train. You can have a lot of things that may be that may have to be addressed or that may be warnings, but what resulted in or what caused the derailment or for that train to derail?
1: Right, so you start to home in on it and you start to do discovery in a case. Discovery, what is that? Discovery is, once you file a case, you can ask questions of the other side they have to answer and you can ask them produce documents. We've covered that in a previous show. So you can make them produce documents and, and, and you've heard on the news recently about Dominion and Fox and they keep discovering emails and they keep discovering letters letters and and, and narratives. And so that's what we're talking about in discovery. So maybe you want to look at Norfolk Southern's train derailment procedures, maybe you look at their maintenance records, maybe you look at what their policies are for repairing and maintaining their train, Is there inspe- are there inspection procedures? So that's how you get down to it. That's how lawyers analyze these cases, and that's how this train derailment case is going to go down eventually. Uh, so Brad, let talk just a little bit about discovery and explain to everybody how you would discover whether this train was properly maintained, whether the alarm was working properly, whether the alarm even went off, whether there was even an alarm. We've done cases where things have been disconnected.
2: That's right. And the first thing you need to do is you need to get a an expert in the area, in in the areas of concern to you to begin with, or an, an expert with respect to trained derailments, uh, especially this particular train uh, or type of train, and start talking about what could be the different problems on why this train derailed. You'd be gathering together all the all the videos. You'd be gathering together all the reports, all the information. You probably would send somebody out in the field uh, to talk to the witnesses independently and probably interview them and probably recorded interview to determine what it is that they say caused this train or what they saw about this train. Uh, then, you know, you may get a person sitting on sidelines who says why he thinks the train might uh, have uh, derailed, but it may be a completely ridiculous uh, theory. Um, the bottom line is you want to see what they saw. You want to try and get inside their eyes and experience what they saw and even determine if what they saw is accurate. And if it is, then fine. If not, then you've got, to, you've got to start going through other processes. You've got to see if the, the train's own mechanical recording devices uh, might have had some kind of information that tells you about the train. And, and what happened? But yeah, you know, the strength
1: consists of 141 loaded cars, nine empty cars, for you know, a total of 150 cars. Uh, 20 were carrying hazardous materials, which we'll get into in a minute. 11 of those hazardous material cars uh, derailed. So, you always go look for the cause of the derailment. Period. And there can be all kinds of theories flying around. So, we're trying to teach you. Let's go back and review. You look for the cause, you look for the facts, you rule out certain things, sort of like a doctor does a um, diagnosis, you rule in certain things, then you go after it, and if you file a lawsuit, then you get into discovery, and you do that. But Brad, you know, we're talking about some of these hazardous substances, and the neighbor, the neighboring communities, and the neighbors, and the property owners, and the town, townspeople, and they've had all these meetings. Um, you know, it, it was significant to Brad and I that two of the hazardous substances were the same- In the Camp Lejeune, matter, the Marines were drinking uh, and their families were drinking contaminated toxic water, right? Uh, One of them was, was vinyl chloride. That was in this train, vinyl chloride. That can cause cancer. It hooks up to cancer. That's the same and similar to Camp Lejeune. We know all about Camp Lejeune cases because we do them. And then there was benzene. And so that was also in Camp Lejeune, and benzene was on this train. So so eventually we're gonna to get to causation, but these were very dangerous substances, Brad. And now uh, a lot of people are skeptical because the EPA has come out and said, Well, everything's okay. The air's okay, the water's okay, the ground's okay, it's all okay.
2: Well, what, what will be interesting about this, and first of all, I want people to know, you know, the train been around for hundreds of years. Uh, the railroads have been around, and uh, we talked last time about administrative agencies, and there are a number of administrative agencies that are involved in this case, a number of them that are working on the case. Um, and uh, the the bottom line is, is that a number of things that they talk about, maybe this train should have had or could have had. Uh, if it did, then you start wondering, why would we have this problem? Or why do we not have already regulations? I mean, trains have been 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 hauling hazardous materials for a long time. And I, I think it's an example of uh, the, the politics that can get played when you start getting involved in what kind of Um, What kind of restrictions or what kind of regulations you're going to impose on trains or you're going to impose on our transportation system on vehicles being able to, to haul these type of items or hazardous materials and what they're all about. But when we start talking about the chemicals, you know, the question is, where'd those chemicals go? You know, was there a burn off of them and did it burn most of it, all of it? And yes, it made a big black cloud, but did that cl- black cloud come to earth? What was in that black cloud? And, and when we start talking about, did it get into drinking water? And a lot of this, Gary, we're going to know 20 years from now or 25 years from now how it affected people, not just by how their health is, but even if it didn't affect their health, the question is, is if you were going to Palestine, Ohio right now, would you buy property there?
1: East Palestine, Ohio. I don't think so. Would, would uh, you
2: would you buy Would you buy anything over there?
1: You know, you'd have to look at it very carefully because I mean, these poor these poor people. And then then think about the air quality, think about the water quality, think about the health quality, and think about having to hook it up to some disease, which we're going to cover on causation in a minute. But Brad was talking about regulations. Some of them are, you know, one administration pulls them back, ones another administration puts them in place, and that's the that's the that's the 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 dynamic of how this country country works, but but think about this. Brad and I taught you on a podcast how administrative agencies under the Administrative Procedure Act control your life, and they publish rules, and those rules become the policy and then become the law. In this case, there's the federal uh, Federal Railroad Administration regulations, right? So attorneys, the reason we're telling you this, attorneys would go look if there's regulations that are being broken uh, by the the, rail, the uh, train company. Are they, are they being broken? Were they being complied with? You know, there's positive train control regulations. There's the Rail Safety Improvement Act of 2008. I mean, these things can make your head spin. This is where this all goes. And nobody knows about it until a tragedy occurs. There's hazardous material regulations, hazardous materials regulations. There's the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration. Wow. How many people? And then we got the EPA, Brad. And now we got the uh, Department of Transportation. And, and, and they're getting involved in the investigation. And there's the key word, Brad. Let's talk about that. These agencies are now investigating. That's under their power, the enabling statute that we taught you. They're investigating this event.
2: Well, once again, we just talked about a number of different administrative agencies that are involved in making sure trains operate safely. Now, we have a train and we have hazardous materials on that train. I would venture a guess that we have every year maybe a million trains that go through that, and I would venture to guess that's been going on for 100 years where we've had hazardous materials on trains, And, and we have a portion of the cars carrying these hazardous materials, but a portion of them not carrying the hazardous materials, which now they're complaining about, saying that something should be done with that. And then we're talking about, what kind of inspections or, or actions should be taken to make sure the trains are safe? You got a bearing that goes out, should it have been a scene or not? Aren't all these already in effect somewhere in an administrative agency somewhere?
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that's the whole key. That, that, that's how lawyers think. So you do dig down into the facts. We're going to get a little, little review here. You dig into the facts. You figure out what the cause was of the, of the derailment. Right? And you start to prove that. You start to home in on it. You get discovery. You get to discover documents. You get to to ask questions. And then you get discovery. And then uh, you, sometimes you can piggyback, uh, like the National Transportation Safety Board. They have experts. It costs individuals who are wanting to make an injury claim nothing. They piggyback it. Except when the National Transportation Safety Board comes up with um, a, a conclusion, which they haven't yet, Well, we don't find any responsibility, or we do. And so, if they do find responsibility, and they do find causes, and they have engineers and they have experts on the on the board that are investigating this, if they come up with an investigation conclusion, you try to use that. You try to use it because there's all these myriad of rules and regulations. But you're right, Brad. Uh, All these investigating agencies, all these laws, all these rules, and we're we're talking about hazardous materials going through towns every day, every night. And of course, if there's no event. If there's no derailment,
2: we don't hear about it. But if there is, we do. And, and what were the regulations? I, the first place I would think an attorney would go, and we've seen at least one of the lawsuits that's been filed already, is we'd be looking into saying, okay, should the train have been carrying the, the materials it was on the cars it was with the many cars that it had? And was the train properly reviewed and looked at? Because, you know, there's an old old saying in law, it's called raise ipsa loquiter. And, you know, it's kind of like it wouldn't have been for the, neg- it, it happens for the negligence of someone. I think that's the right. Yeah, that's it. That.
1: Ray and
2: uh-huh.
1: But for the negligence of somebody, this wouldn't have happened. How and, did this happen? And, and that's that's the legal theory.
2: I think, I, I think that is the legal theory right now. It, in the lawsuit I saw, they were talking about, well, it's a private nuisance. It's a negligence action. It's this, it's that. But what they're really boiling it down to is, look, this train is going through this town. And it's carrying all this this hazardous materials, and it derails, and so not, all that can happen unless somebody was negligent and some reg or, or failed to obey some regulation, and that's and what they're going to find. it.
1: That's what attorneys look for. But think about this, you guys. Think about this. If you think you home in on the ball bearings and you say there were sparks and that's what caused caused the derailment, you say, and you go through the whole lawsuit and you try to prove it. But what if there was some other cause? that you miss and then you lose. Like what if there was an engineer operator error? What if, the, what if the, uh, the train had too many cars on it? It was too long. It was too heavy for that speed, that curve, that part of the track, or it wasn't maintained properly. Or what if there's a different cause altogether? You have to figure this out, and that's how lawyers think. That's how you go after one of these. And as Brad said, there's already there, – well, there's multiple lawsuits filed on this already – and so, Brad, let's get down into the theories of liability. You covered some. The first one is negligence. You didn't do something you should have done or you, you, or you did something you shouldn't have done. I mean, that, that's pretty much the simple definition of negligence. And you also mentioned private nuisance. That's a theory of law. This whole thing creates a nuisance. And it's not a small nuisance either. We're not talking about a small, trivial nuisance. We're talking about a big one. Another theory of law is public nuisance. But there's also, Brad, a theory of law called strict liability, And strict liability means when you're dealing with dangerous substances and they get loose and they harm people and they damage property, there doesn't have to be negligence in order to allow recovery. So in the lawsuits that we've seen so far, they have alleged negligence, they have alleged private and public nuisances, they've alleged uh, strict liability, and they've even alleged trespass. What do you mean trespass? Because they've caused substances substances to trespass on your property, your life, your air, your water, your quality of life, and that's how the theories of law uh, work, and that's how they have to prove them.
2: Well, and when you're going down through that, there's a lot of questions that you can do for each one of those as to why that should or shouldn't apply to a rail carrier saying I'm putting, um, I, I'm I'm putting materials on a, a railroad or on a rail car that I expect that rail car to be able to carry that train uh, uh, through the or to go, go through these different towns at night uh, where it's not bothering anybody. I'm going to have monitored speed. And if I'm going to have the monitored speed, everything should go, go fine. And if, in fact, the regulatory agencies have inspection requirements, For the ball bearings that we're talking about, the bearings that we're talking about, not ball bearings, the bearings we're talking about, if it has uh, the regulations for inspection of those, and if inspection was done right and everything passed the inspection, then you start going, well, is this something that you can even have? any responsibility for, unless, as you said, Gary, strict liability. And strict liability is there doesn't have to be anybody doing anything wrong or negligent or overseeing anything. It's, if it happens, you're responsible, period.
1: Right. And this, we've seen this in many cases throughout the years. Look, uh, when we, when Bell and Pollock, when Brad Pollock and I do a case, let's say it's a big time, big time trucking case, a big rig case. The first thing we check are the, are the rules and regulations under the federal motor carrier rules and regulations. Were they violated. So let's just transport that theory over here. You look at the rules and regulations, and in the lawsuits we've seen, they reference the rules and regulations of these administrative agencies. Remember, under administrative law, we taught you, administrative agencies publish rules. They publish regulations. Those have the force and effect of law. So if they publish the rule and the regulation about the train, and the maintenance, and the inspection, and hazardous materials, and they don't comply with it, then they violated the law. And that gives you a theory of liability to sue the train and the train company on that uh, very, very thing. They violated this rule, that rule, this rule, that rule. And so sometimes smart attorneys wait for the government to conduct their investigation, uh, like the National Transportation Safety Board, come to a conclusion right? It's the same thing about a black box in an airplane. You hear about airplane crashes. They want that black box. They want it to be recovered from the ocean. They want to know what happened. They're doing an investigation. Was a rule violated? So now we're educating you on rules. We're educating you on facts. You've got to dig into the facts. We're educating you on discovery. So, so far, you got to get the facts. You got to discover what happened. You got to get the right cause. Now, Brad, listen. and you got to get the right theory of liability, strict liability, trespass, negligence. Brad, let's get over to causation. Because in this situation, everybody would say, if we, if if I ask you right now, if Brad asked you right now, well, somebody got sick in town, they got a disease, they developed cancer, they got sick, well, you would say, you would think, you would presume, you would assume that it was caused, there's the word, it was caused by the chemicals and the hazardous materials leaking, exploding into the air, particles through the air. You would say, we would assume that, but... Think about this. Let's just take one example. One of the elements was vinyl chloride. Vinyl chloride is known to cause cancer. We know that from Camp Lejeune. Brad and I do Camp Lejeune cases. We know that, right? But if you have a certain kind of cancer, what if you have a neurological disease like Parkinson's disease and you develop Parkinson's? You have to prove the causation. Brad, explain that. You have to prove and hook it up. You have to say that the Parkinson's disease was caused by the hazardous chemical and you have to prove it. You can't just assume it or wonder or think about it.
2: Well, and as we move on to that, I would tell people you might want to, if you're really interested in the, this idea of, of, of inappropriate acts or or theories of liability um, and how it might apply, uh, everybody take a look at or spend a little time going through Kerr-McGee and the Kerr-McGee case where um, I think they even made a movie out of it, didn't they?
1: The, Kerr, Kerr-McGee was famous, and, and the lawyer in that in that case was Jerry Spence and his famous line— I mean the, the the plutonium got got loose, and his famous line he had compared it to a lion, right? I think it was a lion. Yeah, right. When when the lion gets away, Kerr McGee must pay.
2: And take a look at it. And the question is, should that apply here? But you know, as we start talking about. Um, how we, we we get our proximate cause or we get any kind of causation, uh, you, you know, the first strike you're going to have against you, and you have to be careful, if you're doing it for personal injury, the first strike you're going to have against you is you have the EPA already harming you as a plaintiff's uh, position or in a plaintiff's lawyer. Why? Because the EPA and a number of places have come out and said, oh, the air quality is fine. It's just oh, fine. The water quality is fine. Everything's fine. Oh, everything's fine. There's no problem. Everything's perfect. Go on about your day. Now, these are the same agencies that maybe, or maybe some of the same agencies, that maybe uh, you know, didn't have the regulations or didn't enforce regulations that would have stopped this train wreck from happening anyway. But instead, they're now saying everything's fine. Well, you're, all, you're going to be faced with a situation if you develop cancer in 5 or 10 years, and you're in East Palestine, and the, now you've got instead of, I think, what, isn't it 4,500 people that live there right now?
1: 4,800.
2: 4,800. And if you're, if you're going to be all of a sudden now, some of the 800 left, and you've got cancer or there's some kind of birth defect to, to a child uh, or your grandchild, and you're sitting there saying, well, it was exposure to these dangerous chemicals that happen in this derailment. Uh, and and they're going to be going, nope, can't be that. We, we, we fixed it. We fixed everything. And you can't blame us for causing the, or, or for the result that you have with respect to any of your health or any of your grandchildren, your children, anybody else's health.
1: But you just said the important word, Brad, causation. You can't blame us for causing. And so here's how defense lawyers go at it. We're talking to you about plaintiffs' lawyers, how they go out and try to prove these things. You have to hook up causation, <clears throat> but defense lawyers would go at it and say, "We're so sorry. There was a there was a train derailment, right? And the EPA tested the air and tested the water, and it was all fine. Everything was okay. So we don't know what you're talking about. We're sorry that your child developed cancer. We're sorry that grandma developed cancer. We're sorry that grandpa has." Um, some kind of neurological disorder or disease or Parkinson's disease. We're sorry, but we didn't cause it. We didn't cause it. And so that's how we break down this for you so you can understand it, what happens. And Brad, some of these sicknesses, they might say somebody that ran the general store over here is sick today. You know, it's it's just recently after the uh, train derailment. Is that plausible? Is that provable medically and scientifically? And what kind of, quote, sick are we talking about? Sick, upset stomach, uh, sick uh, bowel problems, uh, sick throwing up, um, and then long-term effects, cancers like Agent Orange in Vietnam. Long-term effects. It's like it's like Camp Lejeune and contaminated toxic water. We're talking about twenty years le- later, tw- ten years later, developing liver cancer, and and so. You have to look at the causation element and can you prove it because everybody says, well, there was a train derailment and it was all hazardous substances and all hazardous chemicals and therefore we recover. And it's not that easy. Well,
2: it's, it's actually very hard because, it, you know, you're, you're talking about they did talk about maybe it caused some damage to property. Everybody said, well, I'll drink the water and I'll eat the food, but maybe there's some damage to the property. And I'll breathe the air, but maybe there's some damage to the property. Then, of course, it got into a stream that killed, what, 3,500 fish? Um, But then all the other fish are okay. It just killed those initial thirty five hundred, and then uh, all the others appear to be doing just no, fine. They're just great, you, you know. So it, it couldn't have affected everybody. It the, didn't affect everybody. There can't be a problem if the fish are still alive, exactly. And of course, it's flowing out into the Ohio River, and say that that's a big body of water, and it can it can di- it can take on that kind of maybe potential environmental hazard, and and spread it out so it doesn't have really any good effect. Yeah,
1: but Brent, what if what if you're ten 10 miles downstream? What if you're ten miles down from the air contaminants what if you're five miles what if you're three miles what if you're one mile
2: right and and are you going to be able to drink any of the water that's underneath the ground where where the where the derailment took place the contamination occurred uh, are they going to be able to plant any crops there have they lost all their land and the value of their land and once again i you know how many of you listening right here are planning your next vacation in east palestine ohio you know, get getting ready to head on out there and and see what everything's like and and you're gonna go ahead and get yourself a nice B b where you can uh, not really gonna happen turn on the faucet and drink all that water and go over to the farmers market and get some of that great food that was grown on the land that's not
1: going to happen these people have been devastated this whole community has been devastated but we're trying to break right.
2: it down legally for you but what but what you asked me and I, you know I got a little off this focus there um, you know I said what well, What's the situation with the people there and, and with respect to the, the drinking the water? Well, you know, you get, and, and once again, I, it's not politics. It doesn't mean anything, but you get uh, a, an elected official that goes there and says, this water's safe. Now, I think there were a number of them that went and did it. And I don't think all of them agreed to drink the water in front of the, the residents, but some did. But the thing is, is they had a drink of water. Maybe they drank a glass of water. But that's a lot different than when you're waking up every morning and drinking water, when you're going to, di- to lunch and you're drinking water, when you're going to dinner and you're drinking water. Before you go to bed at night, you're drinking water. You're, you're drinking water as you're washing down some extra vitamins uh, or, or your medications that you have to have. You're bathing in it. You're, you're having to, to live in that water on a constant basis. You're feeding it to your young children. As as you're as you're going through it, and everybody just says, "Don't worry about it. The water's safe, and don't worry about breathing. That's fine too." Well, you know, there was a black cloud over there, you know, and and usually when you have a big black cloud, it usually means there's something in that cloud that's making it black. And where'd all that stuff go? Exactly, you
1: know, and, and there's sort of things that are contraindicated here. Think about this: the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, basically said the air and water were okay, basically. Okay. Then on February 21st, the EPA ordered. Think about this. Listen to this. Ordered Norfolk Southern, the, the the train company, to identify and clean up contaminated soil and water. At the same time, the EPA saying it seems to be okay. They ordered them to reimburse the EPA, the train company, reimburse the EPA for cleaning residences and businesses to attend public meetings. And take other measures. That's pretty powerful remedies from an administrative agency looking out for somebody. And then the EPA said if, they, if the train company failed to complete those actions, the EPA would, quote, seek to compel the train company, Norfolk Southern, to pay triple the cost of the work. That comes from a rule and regulation.
2: Triple the cost of the work. But who are they going to pay that to? Exactly. They're going to pay it to an administrative agency. They're going to pay it to EPA. Exactly. What about the people? What about the people? What about the people who are having to live with this? And what about the fear they have, the concern they have? You know, are you going to rest easy at night? Uh, Can you just, uh, any of you listening to this right now, can you just get up right now and leave your home, getting no money for it, getting nothing, leave your town and go live somewhere else? Do you have the wherewithal to do it? And, by the way, when you leave, you're probably leaving behind your job because you're not going to be going back there to work. Can you really do that, or are you stuck there? And, you know, what would what, what the railroad company offer them? $1,000 per well, person? Well, they did
1: initially, but now they're in the millions of dollars for funds. Uh, but, you know, Brad, you, know, you and I have looked at these lawsuits, not all of them, but some of them. And the, the marvelous thing to Brad and I is you don't usually find in lawsuits You find claims for money damages for injuries and losses and property damage and injuries. You don't normally find what we found here. Part of their lawsuit is to order the company, the the train company, to provide continuing medical monitoring at their cost and expense.
2: Again, uh, wonderful remedy. Wonderful remedy to do. And and a great thing to do. But if you're one of the persons they're continuing monitoring— they're continually monitoring, and you're living there. Or like I said, if your five-year-old son or, or seven-year-old daughter or one of the people are going to continually monitor, are they going to monitor their death? Well, and, and in the meantime, what if they get a
1: am just going to say the same thing. They monitor them, and they say one day, well, I'm so sorry. We were monitoring you, and now you've got cancer XYZ. From being exposed to this problem. Oh, we're not going to say, we're not going
2: to admit it's, it's caused by. We're going to say you've got it. And, and And we're sorry, and as you're listening to us, you're probably wondering, okay, what are the results or what what can you do for a remedy and that's what has to be determined in this case. what's the appropriate and what's the possible remedy to be able to save people from the 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 nightmare they're going to live? Or what's going to happen to East Palestine? And it's going to end up being a ghost town.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's all possibilities. It's sad. It's horrible. We've, we've brought you this today. We wanted to explain this train derailment to you, give you the, the breakdown, how attorneys break down cases, especially this one, the facts, the discovery, the theories of liability, the parties, who's going to be sued, who's going to be blamed, the damages, and the causation.
2: And, and, the causation. And, and remember, just because they say okay it's a bad chemical or just because they say well 30% of the people in east palestine uh, came down with cancer shortly after this happened or so many years after and that's many more than the national average that does not mean you can just automatically go well it's because of that trained it. You still need the science. You still need the facts and the science behind it. Otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere. So the important part right now, as much as anything, is to get that science going and get a good look at it. And I'm not trying to knock the railroad company, but I don't think it should be the railroad company doing it. I understand it can be our administrative agencies, but again, they also need to focus on why did this happen to begin with? Don't they have rules and regulations against this stuff being brought through people's towns? And, and then there's got to be some way to, to continually monitor and figure out how to save a town. Well, think about this. If mom and dad get cancer, right,
1: and mom and dad have cancer now, and then they want to make a claim, uh, think about the statute of limitations later. But also think about this. The defense might come in, the defense for the railroad company might come in and say, well, they got cancer, but if you look at their family history, they had a family history of cancer, so you can't prove that what we did caused
2: caused their cancer, and we're so sorry. And at some point, maybe we'll talk about class action lawsuits and multi-district litigation so that people can understand how maybe you can have a chance against companies like this and, and maybe have a chance to... Uh, to Protect yourself.
1: Right. You're listening to the Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell along with Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell and Pollock. We are located in Denver, Colorado, and we have offices in Denver and Steamboat Springs, Colorado. You can look up our law firm on champions of the people.com. If you want to, that's champions of the com. Also, if you want to communicate with us, email us at info at legalanatomy.net. That's info at legalanatomy.net net will be glad to respond to you and work with you, uh, answer your questions, uh, and interact with you. Uh, so, And then now we're going to get to the fun part of our show every week. We do an American idiom. Sometimes Brad sneaks in an extra American idiom, and we're going to do the quote of the day. So, Brad, for American idioms, uh, what do you got this week? You've come up with some good ones recently. Well,
2: yeah, you know, there's... there's- in uh, with respect to this case and with respect to the people that are involved, you I don't know how many people have heard this, but I think I think it goes around quite a bit. It's a hard nut to crack and you know that that's what this case might be all about and that might be what people are all about when trying to hold them responsible And someone who's difficult to get to know or understand or something that is difficult to know to get to know or understand or someone or something that is tricky to deal with
1: you know you're getting pretty good at this i mean that kind of applies to today's
2: subject hard nut to crack that's good it is a hard nut to crack on this one so you know um i don't want people to get hung up on um on the what's going on too much but at the same time i hope people push to get to some answers to the bottom of this
1: absolutely so we're on your side okay uh, my quote of the day. I got two of them today. I'm going to give you a little extra bonus today. The, one, the first one's from Vince Lombardi, the famous football coach. Vince Lombardi. He says, "Quote: Winning isn't everything, but wanting to win is." And I got. I, I looked at that quote a long time because I thought Vince Lombardi winning was everything. But he says winning isn't everything, but wanting to win is. And the other quote I've got for you today is. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's quote, man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. You can't discover new oceans unless you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Okay, Gary Bell, Brad Pollock, our law firm is Bell & Pollock. Uh, we try to give you legal anatomy and legal breakdown of current events in our country to help you and give you the information you need to make up your mind. We're glad to do it. You can get a hold of us at info at legalanatomy.com Dot .net we'll see you next week